This is Resolutions, a podcast from the American Bar Association Dispute Resolution Section. I'm Larry Schooler. I'm Director of Consensus Building and Community Engagement for the consulting firm CD&P. We are bringing you this episode during yet another extraordinary moment in America as our country grapples with how to address massive challenges in policing and public safety. Part of that conversation involves our profession. Mediators and arbitrators frequently hear cases involving labor and employment matters, including the actions of police, firefighters, and other public employees, though labor and employment cases run the gamut of professions. To understand how dispute resolution intersects with on-the-job conduct, we've invited Lynn Rubinette. She's a veteran arbitrator, mediator, and litigator on labor and employment matters, and her portfolio includes cases that involve public safety personnel. Well, Lynn Rubinette, welcome to Resolutions. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for asking me. I think one of the things that would be helpful for listeners to understand is, you know, what it might look like when a labor and employment matter um, goes before mediation or arbitration. Um, because I think there's, because of the fact that many of, if not most of these proceedings are private, you know, it's, it's hard for someone to necessarily understand, you know, really what's going to take place as compared to what a, a court case might look like. So maybe take us inside a little bit and, and share okay. with us what, what that looks like. So labor, when one says labor and employment, the labor piece is typically referring to a unionized workplace and the set of laws that govern unionized workplaces are very different. The role of the arbitrator is different. The um, legal framework is different and the balance of power, quite frankly, is very different. The way an arbitrator is selected is very different. The role of mediation, very different. So all of those things are quite different. Employment refers to the general world of just people's jobs and increasingly over many, many years, people um, are asked to sign contracts when they begin a job um, that says that they agree to take any dispute they have to arbitration rather than the courts. Those agreements have come under attack by employee employee rights organizations um, earlier in the day before those battles were essentially lost because they were viewed as contracts of adhesion, which in the law just means a contract that is drafted by one party and essentially the other party doesn't really have a choice behind it. And the purpose behind this employment arbitration move, at least from um, the employer, the management perspective, is that employee employment arbitration is typically cheaper and the remedies are more curtailed than going into the court system and facing either a judge or a jury. And so there's been a lot of um, controversy really over the years about employment arbitration and how that works and if it's fair and so on and so forth. But those are kind of just to help you understand the two frameworks, they're a little bit different. So in arbitration, labor arbitration, Primarily what the arbitrator is doing there is interpreting the collective bargaining agreement that exists between the union and the employer, which is a contract and the jurisdiction of the arbitrator, the power and authority of the arbitrator derives from this agreed contract, which has been negotiated between the union and the employer. So um, really the, the focal point is 
is the arbitrator being true to the contractual agreements between the parties? The language, the um, his bargaining history, the past practice, there are a lot of, of labor principles that come into play. The It is binding arbitration. It's also precedent setting between those two parties. So it's very impactful on the party's relationship. And some people, some unions and employers have had, you know, 50, 75 years, you know, arbitration history interpreting their agreements and some provisions change and some don't, but it's a, it's a precedent setting um, event as between the two parties and labor arbitrators do look to other arbitrators prior decisions on similar topics for precedent and so on and so forth. The appeal right from the decision of an arbitrator in labor arbitration is very narrow. Um, if the courts find that the arbitrator did something really wacky and came out with a ruling that did not derive from the essence of the party's agreement, um, then there's you know, a way to get relief. But in general, courts are um, not quick to disturb labor arbitration rulings and they're not appealed. It's not a frequent frequency like you might see in employment arbitration. Employment arbitration, on the other hand, um, it's also <coughs> binding arbitration. And what that means is there's no appeal right like to a court where it's just, do you agree with this decision or not? The, the review of an arbitrator's decision, even on the employment side, is still going to be, did the arbitrator go beyond the bounds of the arbitrator's jurisdiction? Did the arbitrator go beyond, beyond the bounds of state or federal arbitration laws that govern the conduct and jurisdiction and authority of the arbitrator? As we record this, we're, of course, in the midst of a national conversation about policing and yes, we are. And interestingly, you know, a, a, a facet of that conversation, I think, has been the ways in which um, the country evaluates allegations of misconduct on the on the part of officers. And as a result, arbitration has has come into play. So I guess I, the first question I just want to ask you is um, why did you choose to arbitrate something that is so potentially spicy as uh, a case involving uh, a police officer? So in my particular instance, you know, I had a lot of experience in the public arena in the sense that when I was a litigator, I sued governmental entities a lot. I represented the Texas State Employees Union. I was a general counsel for the Texas Federation of Teachers. Um, and many other em public employers. So I just, it happens to be a little niche that I sort of understand how governments work in municipalities, counties, cities, police departments, et cetera. And so I think I've gotten picked for, you know, more as an arbitrator in the public, you know, the Federal Bureau of Prisons is another one. You know, they arbitrate a lot of cases, you know, um, the Army, the Navy. I mean, I seem to get selected often by public employers and police are um, a big part of that and they do have I you know I serve on a standing panel um, between the city of Houston and the Houston Police Officers Union um, you know it's just you know it's a, a lot of it has to do with who arbitrates cases you know and, and then they just pick their arbitrator so you don't really say I want to do this kind or that kind you just you know, kind of 
cases come to you. Now, you could obviously say, I don't want to do them, but um, you don't sign up by industry. I think one of the things that people may wonder about when it comes to just arbitration generally, but particularly in a labor and employment context both, is this idea that an arbitrator could potentially take the discipline imposed by the person's employer and overturn it or reverse it or reduce it. So someone that was fired could be put back in the job. And I, I guess I just have to ask you, what do you think of that? I mean, why is that meritorious? Why, why should that be so? Why should someone who was fired, whether they be in law enforcement, public safety, or just other kinds of employment, have the chance to have their, um, their, fire, their dismissal or their suspension or their demotion be overturned? Let's say you walk into the office and your employer says, um, there was two cases of water in the break room, they're gone, I think you took them, I don't trust you, you're fired, okay. You may have a like 100% conclusive proof that you didn't take the water. You may know who did take the water, you may not have even been there the day the water went missing, there's nothing you can do about it. That's just, you know, what it means to be an employee at will. On the other side, in labor arbitration or if you have an employment contract and you have some entitlement to your job, in other words, you can only be dismissed for cause if there's an actual reason. Um, and that reason can be established by evidence, then, you know, you can be terminated. So, you know, I, people, I do believe just that it makes sense for labor relations and for the economy as well as for individuals that there should be some basic sense of fairness and justice in the workplace that if you haven't done something wrong or if, the, if you, there's been a mistake, you've been wrongly accused of something, you um, potentially have a supervisor who hasn't been doing their job and is pointing the finger at you. There's so many circumstances you know, that we hear as labor arbitrators where when the story unfolds as to what really happened, it wasn't necessarily what it appears on the surface. I don't think a person should be terminated from a job they may have invested. And one of the criteria on the labor and labor arbitration side, for example, is seniority. You, if you've worked at a job for 30 years and you've given your entire work life to this place, of employment and then something comes up and you've been accused of it and you're to be fired, but yet the evidence shows that that didn't happen or it wasn't accurate or was there was some flaw in the decision, then I believe it's, it's appropriate that that person should not be expendable in that way without basic due process rights. So it's really just a, a sense of due process and, and fairness and, you know, believing that people have the right to dignity and fairness in the workplace and that if you give your time and your labor to support this endeavor, then what you should get in return is the fairness of being able to continue to have that job as long as you've done what you should do. So to return for a second to the scenario of, of arbitrating a case involving a, a public employee, for example, 
yes. you know, you see, you see reports, statistical analyses that show, you know, a fairly substantial percentage of, of discipline matters involving police officers, for example, that get changed in some way uh, in the course of an arbitration proceeding. You know, Minnesota, even there was a finding in the, in the 40 or 50 percent of number of cases brought before arbitrators uh, where their original uh, department's decision was, was changed. And I mean, it sounds to me like your take on that would be the arbitrator simply had a chance to take a fuller, uh, deeper look at the circumstances than the department. But I, I guess I just have to ask you kind of what, <laughs> I have to ask you, um, what, what, what comes to mind or what do you feel when you hear folks pushing back on uh, a system in which those decisions get uh, reversed so frequently? I, I feel extremely conflicted and um, a heavy heart because um, I, I do believe that um, the culture of law enforcement and the way that it interacts, um, I believe the culture of law enforcement is um, one fundamental piece of the systemic racism and violence that we see in this country. And I think that's very problematic. I also believe that people are entitled to due process rights at work. Um, I do not necessarily know from the statistic that you quoted what that means because I would need to know a lot more things to know what it means in a particular state or at a particular time. There are some, um, it is absolutely, see what's complicated is that, you know, a lot of this also points back to management and not to the, it's a complicated interrelationship because there are certain responsibilities that the police department management has, okay? And so if they go before an arbitrator and they haven't dispensed their part of the bargain, so to speak, properly, or they don't present the proper evidence to prove their case because they do have the burden of proof, for example, in a discharge case. You know, the fact that the evidence may not be there um, is, is something, I mean, as an arbitrator and a judge, you know, you may sit and hear a lot of cases, whether it involves police or any something else, where you kind of have the feeling that maybe that person probably ought to be fired, but the employer didn't prove it, you know, or didn't, didn't meet the standard tests of what has to be done. And so, you know, I don't like those cases because it, may, it makes my job very difficult. So it's really hard to know whether what's going on, at least in the arbitration realm, as far as it goes with police officers and overturning of discipline. As an arbitrator who hears public um, safety-related arbitrations, the interest, the employer's interest in providing appropriate, safe, equitable, non-violent, non-racist, non-sexist services. That is, that is a very strong public interest that I believe the employer has. And that I have had cases, for example, where um, I have sustained 
discipline termination of officer of well this didn't actually involve police but in a similar public safety shall we say um because whether that person the trust of the citizens would be breached by putting that person back to work for me as an arbitrator that is a very legitimate part of the puzzle and one that i'm willing to look at because if the public can't rely on these services then then you know the city's not doing its job you know obviously these public employees are paid by the people the people elect uh, representatives who in many cities might hire and fire uh, management of the different agencies whose employees would then be seeking relief in arbitration so i've i've heard it floated in some circles that maybe uh, an elected body ought to have some right to uh, overturn uh, cases that have gone before an arbitrator that involve public employees. I'm obviously not trying to take business away from you or your uh, colleagues in, in asking this question, but I guess I would just ask what if any role should um, an elected body have in evaluating dis uh, disputes involving the employment of a public uh, employee, do you think? The reason for the independence, which I think is really what is provided by a hearing examiner, an arbitrator, or third, any third party neutral outside of the political governing body that you're talking about, is to have a um, independent evaluation that is free from concerns that elected officials understandably have to have. Um, you know, political concerns and other. If the elected officials don't find their, the, those who actually do report to them to be running things the way they believe they should be, then that's where they need to make the change. And, you know, if, for example, um, I mean, I don't know if you're thinking of any particular example. I'm thinking of something in the private sector, but it, it, I guess it could apply to the public as well. But, you know, there are certain, for arbitrators who are looking at employee discipline, do have certain, it's, it's kind of almost like a social contract, like management has to do its job and the employees have to do their job, okay? So if a disciplinary appeal of a certain type comes before an arbitrator and management has not done any of the things that management is supposed to do, if it's dispensing its roles properly, then the arbitrator is going to be less likely to sustain that discipline. Now, if you have the public entity, the elected officials hearing that, they are not gonna necessarily be looking at the body of regulations and law that has developed over many years. Again, the, the law of the shop, as it's called, you know, that is sort of a set of guiding principles about how to dispense fairness, equitable treatment and justice in the workplace. They're going to by necessarily be um, looking at a different set of issues, which is, which is understandable. But I guess the question is, is that really what's gonna get the best and most fair decisions for the workplace as a whole of that entity? And I, I think the answer is no, because you're gonna get, um, a much less 
you're going to get a dispensing of justice that's much more based on individual circumstances or cases or um, who knows who and, and that kind of stuff. It's just it's kind of inevitable. So that's why people go to third parties to decide all kinds of disputes. That's why we have a judiciary. I mean, it's the same basic principle. And so the elected officials, you know, are still um, accountable to the people that elected them. And, you know, in a democracy, there are different levels, you know, and it goes all the way down. And there are people that are accountable to those elected officials between them and the individual who may have been disciplined. And there's, there's a remedy. If there's a problem, there's a remedy, I guess is, you know, the way to look at it. I have to leave it there. Lynn Rubinet, thank you very much for joining us on Resolutions. Thank you, Larry. That was Lynn Rubinet, a veteran arbitrator and mediator on a variety of matters, including labor and employment. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Resolutions. I'm Larry Schooler.